0: And that little tune just put you in a good mood? Do, do, do. What doesn't put me in a good mood is this week's T-Blast. Here's a mental note. Um, never be uh, out of town when Ryan and John are shooting the T-Blast. I just got to remember that. They Never leave town on Thursdays. Uh, anyway, hey, go on Facebook. Check out the different videos, different things going on. Speaking of Facebook, if you haven't already, this kind of sounds weird, but go on, like West Bowles, uh, rate us on Facebook, rate us on Google, even Yelp. It's amazing how folks, when they're looking for a new church, it's going to be all online. And so our greatest witness to this community can actually be through those different social mediums. So go on and do that for us. That'd be awesome. Uh, again, super pumped for this summer, uh, super pumped for this new series. Let me jump right into it, kind of explain uh, what's going on with all of this stuff right here. If you think about the word neighbors, it's kind of a loaded word, isn't it? It's a pretty packed word. From Mr. Rogers in his idyllic PBS neighborhood uh, to Seth Rogen and his frat boy infested neighborhood. Uh, From HOAs who try to make your house look a certain way to that person across the street who won't stop looking at you. Hashtag creepy guy next door. Right? We all have experiences with and stories about our neighbors. And that word, neighbors, we all kind of have a love-hate relationship with it, I imagine. And some businesses, some organizations, they've actually capitalized on the weight of this word, have they not? They've based their entire brand around the idea of neighbors. You know the little tune, say it with me. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Their their marketing guy needs a fat raise, right? I mean, when 90% of this church can sing that song. But even though we know the tune, even though we've heard the word, I wonder of us, I wonder how many of us actually know what that phrase means. How many of us know what it looks like? How many of us know what it means to be a good neighbor? I recently heard a comedian who spoke to all of this, and he spoke to how drastically our mindset has shifted and changed over the last couple of years, especially as it pertains to our neighbors. Think about how people responded back in the day. Let's even say 10, 15 years ago when a neighbor rang the doorbell unexpectedly. Chances are you heard that little sound and you were overcome with joy all right the doorbell rang it was as if church bells started ringing you suddenly had reason to celebrate the kids came running downstairs all prim and proper mom miraculously pulled a pot roast out of the oven maybe even like a fresh baked pie all Right? dad would open the door hey neighbor come on in you need to drink the games on have a seat stay a while guests visitors neighbors Oh, they were all greeted with great fanfare, weren't they? They were made to feel like royalty. Well, let's fast forward to today. Think about how differently most of us respond when the doorbell rings. You hear that little sound. It's like a fire alarm or warning signal has gone off. Everyone starts to panic and hide. You look around at each other with terror and confusion. What do we do? What do do we do? Dad yells out, everybody down, shades down, TV off, don't make a sound. (laughs) If we're quiet enough, maybe they'll go away. Didn't they see the sign on the door that says, we don't like talking to strangers at home? Unlike days of old, guests and visitors and neighbors, they're not greeted hardly at all anymore. No, they're not made to feel like royalty, they're made to feel like a nuisance, aren't they? See, instead of talking to our neighbors, nowadays we close the garages quickly as we get home so we don't have to talk to our neighbors. Instead of hanging out in the front yard, we build bigger privacy fences in the backyard. Like a good neighbor. Oh, you mean giving that little token head nod and wave as I drive to and from my house. Like a good neighbor. Oh, you mean that small chit-chat that I engage in when, heaven forbid, I'm mowing the grass at the same time my neighbor is. Like a good neighbor, oh, you mean not reporting their messy yard to the HOA, at least within the first couple of days upon seeing it. Like a good neighbor, I'm not sure most of us have ever seen or known or been around a good neighbor. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal if Jesus hadn't made it that big of a deal, but he did. He made this whole neighbor thing a really big deal. A really, really big deal. In fact, it's in Luke 10. See, in Luke 10, Jesus tells a story about being neighbors, and that story applies to us right here in southwest Denver. Yes, it was told thousands of years ago, but it's as if it was told just a few days ago. And this story in Luke 10, it's actually the state farm jingle before there was a state farm or such thing as a jingle. Jesus was asking his people to be like a good neighbor. But before I share that story with you, I want to share one other story that actually took place right here in our own backyard. A few years ago here in the Denver area, a group of pastors started coming together to talk and pray, just dream out loud with each other. When they met together, a couple of questions kept popping up. The first question was, how can they be more unified as a group of pastors? How can they more tangibly live out the prayer in John 17 for all the believers to be one? It's a great question. I love that pastors are asking that question. The second question, though, was how could they as individual churches more effectively reach their individual communities for Christ? Another great question, right? I'm glad people are asking that question. So the group of pastors is is wrestling with these questions, seeking answers to these questions, but they came to a, a pretty harsh conclusion. They kind of came to this pretty harsh reality. When it came to ministering to their communities, they had to be honest, and they realized they didn't actually know that much about their communities, When it came to reaching the city for Christ, they had to be honest and say, we don't really know what's happening in the city, right? From average ages to different ethnicities, from incomes to the different issues that people are facing. The pastors were ignorant about the demographics and the dynamics in their individual towns and neighborhoods. And so the pastors turned to the experts, if you will. They said, we don't have the answers as to what's happening in our neighborhoods and our cities, but there are people who do like the police chief. So they invited the police chief over for a cup of coffee, asked him a bunch of questions. Then the city manager. Then they spoke to the mayor, right? They brought in and they talked to anybody and everybody who could shed some light into their city, into the issues and dynamics and demographics of their individual communities. Every person that came in was asked two questions. One, what's your dream for this city? And two, if you could wave a magic wand, what's one thing you would wanna do in this city wouldn't it be cool to be in those conversations a little fly on the wall in those coffee shops all right no one's shaking their head I guess it's just a pastor's group you know anyway well one day this group of pastors is talking to the mayor of Arvada in terms of his dreams for the city he said you know I want to live in a city where there are no isolated elderly shut-ins I want to live in a community where there are no at-risk kids where there are no single moms living below the poverty line, where there's no financial debt. I mean, the mayor went on and on and on about all of his dreams. And the pastors are sitting there at the table busily taking notes, writing down all the different things that he's saying. And and you can imagine they're all dreaming up the different programs they might be able to start at their churches. Oh, we could try this. Oh, we could start this. Oh, we could maybe introduce this. And then he ended up saying something, the mayor of Arvada, to this group of pastors that, of all things, left the pastors speechless. Hard to do with a group of pastors. As the mayor was leaving, he said, almost in passing, you know, guys, if, if you want to have the biggest impact in your city, then get your people to be good neighbors. If you want to have the biggest impact in this city, then get your people to be good neighbors. And Dave Runyon, one of the pastors in that group, said it was honestly one of the most embarrassing moments in his entire adult life. I mean, think about this. There's a group of pastors, paid Christian professionals, a group who stands up every week and tells others about the Bible, or right? a group who prides themselves on sharing and teaching and helping you to live out the words of Jesus, and they're being told by the mayor of Arvada, a man who we don't know is even a Christian, a man who may or may not have ever read the Bible before, they are being told by this man, teach people to be good neighbors. Now, the mayor went on to tell him why he thought that was so important. He said every day in his district, people will call him, and they'll say things like, you need to start doing something about this problem, and you need to start addressing that problem. You need to start a new program for this age group or for that age group. You need to help us out in this way or that way. He gets calls all day long about the things they should be doing. Sounds a lot like the church, doesn't it? Interesting. Anyway, John, Ryan, Nathan, they all shook their head. You guys are like, what? But the mayor said that that they do what they can when they can. So they start a a different program for the elderly shut-ins, for those who can't get out and go grocery shopping or go to doctor's appointments on their own. And for a little while, the people are cared for, but then the leadership in the city changes, or the money for the program runs out, or the volunteer coordinator decides to take a new job, and then the the shut-ins are right back where they started. Their lives go right back to that old normal. There was a little break in the action, but their lives didn't really change for the better. They just changed for the moment. So the mayor said that the best way for pastors, the best way for churches, the best way for Christians to actually impact their city is to take personal responsibility for all of their neighbors. Because when people are cared for out of genuine concern, And not not some government program. When people are seen and known and tangibly loved by the people that they live around, then change really happens. Amazing things actually begin to happen. Lives are truly transformed. I mean, listen to this. Government leaders have noted that people who live and have close bonds with their neighbors, they actually live longer. In communities where you know your neighbors by name, Crime is 60 percent lower. When natural disasters strike communities where neighbors are neighborly to each other, they have a greater number of first responders and a much uh, smaller number of fatalities. It's pretty incredible stuff. It all boils down to being a good neighbor. I mean, wow! Who knew? Oh yeah, Jesus did. Matthew 22. One day, an expert of the law tested Jesus with this question Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the entire law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang like a picture on these two hooks. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you read that verse before? Did you ever know that Jesus was the first one to say that? People are like, no, that's in there, really, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the mayor of Arvada was not the first person in history to talk about the importance of being a a good neighbor. He He was not the first person to claim that neighboring can radically and positively change the world. He was not the first person to say that the best way to love God is to care for the people around you. He wasn't the first person to say that. Jesus was. Because when it comes to Christianity, being like Christ, following Christ, being a good neighbor, is at the heart and soul of it all. That's why the pastors were so embarrassed. You see, they were working so hard on astrophysics over here, and Jesus says, guys, it's about simple addition over here. The pastors came to believe, as most of us do, that reaching people with the gospel, bringing heaven to earth, changing people's lives, growing a church, it requires some brand new, some state-of-the-art, some never-before-seen, super-cool strategy. People are gonna talk about it online. Leadership magazines are gonna to wanna to call me and interview me because of all the cool new things we're doing It's like, no, it's just because you loved your neighbor. It's just what Jesus said, you, you just love thy neighbor. But most of us, when we hear Jesus say, Love thy neighbor, we assume, don't we, that he is talking symbolically. But what I want you to see this morning is that he's talking strategically. This is not just some symbolic phrase here. I mean, maybe Jesus was onto something here. Shoot, maybe he was a genius. I mean, maybe he used this word because he knew that two thousand years ago, but also two thousand years later, that one word, that one concept of loving your neighbor, it has the power to change everything. I mean, think about this: two thousand years before the suburbs were even a thing, two thousand years before H.O.A.s were even around, two thousand years before Mister Rogers, State Farm, or the mayor of Arvada, two thousand years before that, Jesus said, "You know what it's all about, church: loving." your neighbors. This is truly the greatest commandment because it can radically change lives, our lives and the lives of those we live around. But we have to do it, and therein lies the problem. See, when it comes to being a good neighbor, a vast majority of us don't think Jesus meant the people right next door. I mean, you don't mean my literal neighbors, do you, Jesus? I'm not supposed to love that guy, am I? The one whose car is on blocks in the driveway, that guy? I'm not supposed to love that gal, am I? The, the gal whose trash cans are out on the curb all week? <sighs> I'm not supposed to love that, that family, am I? Whose, whose dogs, plural, bark all day long? I'm not supposed to love that, that young couple on, on the corner, am I? The one with the Hillary 2016 bumper stickers? I'm not supposed to love them. And, no, no, no. You didn't mean my neighbors when you said my neighbors. Did you? We're not the first ones to ask the question. It seems as if whenever Jesus said that, love your neighbor as yourself, people were like, well, um, who exactly is my neighbor? Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy was listening a few chapters back. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Now, the story could have stopped there. The man would have been like, all right, I'll go do my best. But then we read something very, very interesting, something that kind of changes the whole dynamic of the story because it gives us insight into this man's heart. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked, well, who exactly is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wanted to validate himself. He wanted to defend himself and defend his actions, or maybe even his his lack thereof. He wanted to prove to Jesus, maybe to himself, maybe he wanted to prove to anybody within earshot that when it came to being a good neighbor, he was good enough. And we shouldn't be too quick to judge this particular fellow for this situation. I mean, he just wanted to know, how many questions can I miss on the final and still pass the class? Oh, just a C on the final? Wonderful. He wanted to know how little he had to do to still get credit for doing it at work, right? He wanted to know exactly what he meant by good neighbor so he could do just that, exactly that, and never do anything else. He wanted to make sure that he was all good when it came to being a good neighbor. So he could keep closing his garage door, his window shades, and his heart to the people right next door to him. Love thy neighbor, huh? Hmm. Well, who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? Because you see, the Jews at the time limited the definition of neighbor to people who looked just like you, people who acted just like you, people who believed the very same things that you do. So this guy comes up and he's like, whoa, I go way beyond that definition, Jesus. I mean, I actually have befriended a few of my coworkers. Yeah. I put up with and actually enjoy some of the parents at the ball field on Saturdays. I support a few children every month through compassion. I give a dollar or two in the benevolence fund at church every week. I even sometimes go to the rescue mission downtown to serve a holiday meal. Jesus, when it comes to loving my neighbor, I think I'm pretty well covered. See we can fall into that same mindset, the same mindset as that expert in the law? My neighbors are those people that I already know. They're the people that I already serve. They're the people that I can help without much thought or sacrifice. That's my neighbor, right, Jesus? Because I'm already doing that. So if that's your definition, then we're all good when it comes to a good neighbor. Luke 10, 30. Well, in reply, Jesus said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, a Ph.D., when he came to the place and saw him pass by the other side. But a Samaritan, kind of a half-breed nobody, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out his money, his wallet, and he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for every and any extra expense that you may have. Jesus turned to the man. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell down on the road into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law said, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, well then go do that. Then that's my definition of neighbor. And that's who you're supposed to love. See, in response to the question, Jesus tells a story, not just any old story. It's a story that captivated the audience at the time. It was real people, a real road, a very real problem. The muggings on this road uh, were very commonplace. And it's a story that not only captivated audience 2,000 years ago, but it still captivates audiences today. It's the Good Samaritan. It's told and retold time and time and time again. And we should do a series on this story at some point because there's so many things buried in it. I just want to point out what Jesus was trying to say to the man. In this story, I think he's saying, your understanding of neighbor is incomplete. Your definition of neighbor is too small. You only love some of the people around you, those that you know, those that you like, those who can reciprocate the love. But when it comes to loving your neighbor, I want you, I need you, I'm calling you to think differently. You have to love And you have to think, and you have to define this in terms of the people and the needs that you encounter on a daily basis. I want you to love the people that you normally discount, that you normally disregard. I want you to love the people that you normally turn a blind eye to. I want you to love the people that are right there in your path. I want you to love the people that are right next to you who have great needs. I want you to love your neighbor. And yes, I mean neighbor. Jesus needed the guy to start caring about people that he just didn't really care much about, right? He could care less about these people. And Jesus said, that's who I want you to care for, And Jesus wants to do the same thing for us. The crazy thing about it, though, is when it comes to redefining our definition of neighbor, I think Jesus wants us to start including neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And chances are, although we might not like it, although we might not admit to it, although we might think differently, chances are we don't love these people very well. Don't take my word for it. Take your own. I have a little activity for us. Ushers, start passing out our little magnet boards. All right. I'm going to have the ushers pass out these little magnet boards. Every family or every household in here, go ahead and grab one of these boards. They're going to pass them down the row. They're about uh, six by six little magnet boards. You need to write on them with dry erase. Chances are you don't have one of those in your back pocket. Uh, so be thinking about the answers. When you take them home, I want you to put this on your fridge, and I want you to get a dry erase marker, out, and I want you to fill it out. But for now, I want you to think about your answer to these questions, okay? It's up on the screen if we run out, or you can write it on the back of your notes in your bulletin if we don't have enough. But here's how this goes. Dave Runyon, one of the pastors that I told you about before, he created this little exercise. He's also the author of a book called The Art of Neighboring. And and this little exercise, he believes, and I do too, has the power to show you how well or how poorly you're doing when it comes to loving thy neighbor. The man in the story asked a simple question, didn't he? Who is my neighbor? That's the question I'm asking you right now. Who is your neighbor? And I mean literally by name who is your neighbor so again take a few minutes i want you to think about this all right your house is the one right there in the middle you see it it's beautiful nice job nice paint you're there you some lights are on upstairs you might want to go turn those off all right ac is still running but that's your house right there in the middle you with me Now I want you to think about, and then again, not on this board uh, in particular, but, but I want you to think about, and then at some point I want you to write down the names of the eight families that live directly around you. And if you can, I want you to write down the name of their kids. And if you can go one step further, write down the name of their dog or their gerbil or their hamster. I want you to write down the names of your neighbors. If You live up in the mountains. I knew you were going to be here this morning and be like, yeah, this doesn't apply to me. (laughs) No, you still have neighbors. You just have to go pack a lunch to go see them. So whether you're in an apartment building and the the person next to your neighbor is literally right next to you, the wall next to you, or if you're on a five-acre farm and the next person's the farmer down the road, you've got neighbors. You're not getting out of it that easy. The question is Do you know your neighbors by name? I'm gonna give you 30 seconds. See how many of the eight families around you you can list off by name. Ready, set, go. All right, there was an interesting dynamic that just happened. A lot of the guys just kind of sat there like this. Newman were like, like a good neighbor. I don't have a clue what your name is. All right, if anything like me, your chart looks something like this. I got no clue who the guy is over in the corner. I've never even talked to him. There's Keegan, Katie, and the baby. I don't know what the baby's name is. There's the guy who goes to church somewhere because he tells me about it all the time when I talk to him. Don't know his name though. Uh, there's Alex and I always forget his wife's name. Jeannie Ray, got that one. The, the other kids next door to us, they're always over so I've got them down. Barney, Sherry, and the three kids. Then there's like this, this weird kind of, I don't know, uh, question mark person down there that I don't really wanna go talk to. Right, then there's, there's the porch people. Like, they're always out there, and they seem nice. I mean, they never share whatever it is they're drinking up there, but. <laughs> and then there's the old guy with the barking dog right behind us, and he's kind of like the, you know, the, the neighbor over the yard. Do you see this much of him? Like, he's handsome, this, this high up. But I... Now, this is after I've spent the last two months thinking about this sermon series, y'all. It would have been much worse, and in fact, was much worse when I was first given this little exercise. Like a good neighbor. Now, why is all this important? It's hard to love your neighbor when you don't know your neighbor's name. hard to be a good neighbor when you can't call him out by name. So learning your neighbor's name, it's the first step this morning. Now, this month, we're going to take a lot of different steps practical steps to loving the people right around us. But this is the first step you gotta take. You gotta learn their names. Because what you gotta do is you gotta move from, hey man, to hey Mike. To hey Mike, how's it going? To hey Mike, I got something in the garage that I need help with, can you, can you spare a few minutes? To hey Mike, I noticed that your, your kids have been over a lot, has, has someone moved back in with you? What's going on with that? You see the progression that happens when you first learn the name? And we don't want to just know our neighbor's name. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we're going to talk, again, all month long about what that means, what that looks like, super practical. But the first step is your first mission, if you choose to accept it, learn your neighbor's names. Get to know the people around you by name. Because, you see, the man in the story in Luke he had a definition of neighbor in his mind, but the definition was too limited. It was too small. It was incomplete. And chances are the same is true for us. Chances are our definition of neighbor is not exactly who God would want it to be. Jesus flips the man upside down in his definition of neighboring when he says that your neighbors are the people that you encounter and that you overlook and that you disregard every single day. That's funny because on my Magnet board, there are three families just like that. They're the people on the road that I walk by every day and could care less about. Jesus says, I want you to start caring a lot more about them. So it's not just being like a good neighbor. State Farm was close. It's loving your neighbor. That's a little awkward, though, for kind of an insurance company. Like a good neighbor is probably much safer. But loving your neighbor is the call of the Christian. And that's what we hope to do uh, this June. Let me pray for that, and we'll get you out of here. God, we thank you so much for your patience with us. It's amazing how we can twist and distort different concepts and different words to kind of fit our own liking, and I feel and fear as if many of us have done that when it comes to loving our neighbor. Amazing how we can define that as that person in the cubicle next to us who we talk to occasionally, the, the check that we send to the missionary, the homeless person that we give food or a bag of goodies to every once in a while, Lord. Those are our neighbors. Those are the people in need that we help out. And yes, I think you are pleased with those expressions of faith. And you will, never, you will never ask us to shy away from or stop doing those things, God. But when it comes to loving our neighbor, I think we've got to start loving our neighbor. Lord, we want to bless the people that you have placed in our path. And we know there are great needs. We will talk about that in the coming weeks. There are great needs behind every front door. And so would West Bowles Church be agents of good, be missionaries, Lord, a kingdom of priests in their individual neighborhoods. Would they bring your life and your love to the places they live? Make it so, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I mean, I'm normally used to going to 1145, so I can preach for another half an hour if y'all want me to, but I think we're done for the day. Have an amazing day. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. Check out Facebook, online, different announcements. God bless, be strong and courageous.